Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Welcome everyone to this episode. I'm so happy to have here our special guest. Today, I would like to introduce to you Dr. Stephanie Pearson. She is board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist and an educator for disability and life insurance for physicians. And she is CEO of Pearson Ravitz, insurance advisory firm. She's true expert in disability insurance questions. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming here today. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, about what you do. Sure. So as you mentioned, I am an OBGYN by training. Unfortunately, I was kicked in the shoulder during a difficult patient delivery, and she just got my shoulder in the right spot. I ended up with a torn labrum, developed into a frozen shoulder. I had surgery, was told that I'd be back to work in 12 weeks, and it will be 10 years on August 3rd of this year, not that I'm counting, but my surgery did not go as well as planned, and my orthopedist said it looked like a bomb went off in my shoulder. I still have limited range of motion. I have nerve damage. I have never been cleared to go back to OB or operate. And interestingly enough, I had been cleared to do office GYN as tolerated, but my employer terminated me the day my FMLA was up because my contract said I needed to be able to do 100% of my job. And so I ended up finding out that I was actually malpractice insurance, almost like black boxed. I was told by multiple malpractice insurers that if, God forbid, something happened, that I was non-defensible, that there's black and white notes that I have limitations, that I'm actually a liability. And that was kind of the nail in my clinical coffin. And I learned a lot the hard way about disability insurance, found out that our hospital policy in fine print didn't cover work-related injuries. I was flatly denied and told I would have been better off had I fallen off my bike, which was like getting gut punched. I mean, I was doing my job. I had to deliver this baby. The heart rates were in the 40s. If I hadn't done that, they would have had a multi-million dollar lawsuit so it was really frustrating for me. I also had two private policies that I got as an attending because my senior partner told me to, but I found out like many physicians, I had been not properly educated and didn't really know what I had. I'm glad I had it. We didn't have to sell our house, but I was grossly underinsured and neither policy was really what I should have had. And so I really just started reading everything I could about this topic, thinking I couldn't possibly be the only one who didn't know what they had, right? We're really good at taking care of other people. We're not great at taking care of ourselves. And I don't know about you, but at least 25 years ago, financial literacy was a non-topic in medicine. I mean, it's come a long way in the last five to 10 years, but certainly not 25 years ago. 
So fast forward, I started lecturing to area residency programs. Eventually, people started asking for my help. I felt like the only way I could do that ethically was to actually get licensed. And so I did. And without really having much of a business background, started a company. And six years later, through a lot of gut and hustle and getting the right people in our corner, we now have a very exciting and educationally focused company is how I'd like to describe us. So sorry to hear about this terrible situation with injury, but your ability to pivot and to become an expert in completely new difficult field was the most confusing field. I remember when I was choosing disability insurance, it was so confusing, like so many things need to know. And you was able to help so many people by educating them and by helping them to make right choice with this. And that's what I'm trying. I mean, we're trying to change the industry, trying to change the face, trying to change how the education gets shared. And to your point, it's purposefully confusing. I mean, there's no standardization of language in insurance like there is in medicine. And so companies can use the same phrasing and define it differently. They can use different phrases and define it similarly. And unless you really know what you're looking at, I don't know how anybody would really know what they're looking at, right? I mean, a lot of these policies are dozens and dozens of pages long, and it's just not in our wheelhouse for most of us. Oh, yes, it is super confusing. And for us physicians, in addition to having own occupation policy, which is a must, what else should physicians look for when choosing disability insurance? So as you mentioned, own occupation, and and I say specialty specific, because even within that, different companies use different phrasing. And so you absolutely want to make sure that you're covered for what it is you do day in and day out. And if you can't do that, you want to be considered disabled regardless if you're gainfully employed in another occupation. So there are some companies and some policies where they may be own occupation by the definition of occupation, but not by the definition of total disability. Some policies will say that you can't do your job and not be gainfully employed. And that definition isn't great for us. Also, you want to beware of your group policy. If you have an employer benefit, a lot of times they'll say their own occupation, but when you actually read the document, it's a different definition. It's what's called held to the national economy or the local labor market. It is not specific to what one employee does at one employer site. And so it's almost a lie of omission, right? Our employers are like, oh no, we have own occupation, disability insurance, blah, blah, blah. And then you read it and you're like, actually, no, it's not. And a lot of them too, maybe own occupation for a couple of years. So one of the things with employer policies is they may say that they're own occupation, but they're really not. Sometimes it may be own occupation for two or three years and then switch to any occupation. And they don't have to tell us that. So I realize there's kind of two parts to the question because it's what do we want to look for in a private policy, but I think it's just as important to understand what you have through your employer. So language is the most important. Ultimately, you want the ability to get more later 
without having to go through additional medical underwriting. Every company has, I call it a pool of money. They all call it something different. There are different triggering events. There are different rules. But part of every application process is something called medical underwriting. It's incredibly invasive. You may have to give up bodily fluids. You absolutely have to answer a million questions a million times. They have access to everything medical records, pharmaceutical records, motor vehicle records. You only want to go through that process once. And so you want to make sure that that is part of your policy. Additionally, you want to have something that is either called a residual or a partial benefit, which is a benefit that kicks in if you can't do your job full-time or all of your duties. There are actually more of those types of claims filed and paid every year rather than total. And it makes sense if you think about there are so many issues out there where it's not you wake up one day and you can't do your job, right? Think about things that cause fatigue, MS, other autoimmune diseases, early degenerative diseases, trying to work through chemotherapy. We had a lot of people go out with breast cancer last year, and just about everybody tried to get back in some fashion, right, while they were going through treatment, but you may not be able to work 80 hours a week. You may not be able to take a 24-hour call, right? And so if you can do some but not all or four days instead of five days, it will help you get back some of your losses. And so I feel really strongly about that one. And then there are two kind of smaller pieces of the puzzle. There's a cost of living adjustment or COLA. So that's supposed to be inflationary protection, right? Dollar today, dollar 10 years from now. The interesting thing is it kicks in when you go on claim. So it's not year over year that you have the policy. It's year over year that you're getting paid by them. And so what ends up happening is you're sick or injured. They're paying you. As you hit month 13, 25, 37, that's when it gets triggered. And so the benefit will go up based on the language in the policy. Again, they have different definitions. And there's something called a catastrophic benefit, which is interestingly exactly what it sounds like. In the event that something really horrible happens, you're left unable to perform two or more of your activities of daily living without assistance, or you are severely cognitively impaired, you could get an additional benefit. And I would say the biggest difference right now amongst the carriers has to do with how they treat mental health and substance abuse. And so that's really the first question that you have to ask yourself is how important is that coverage? And it varies by carrier, by state, and by what kind of doc you are as to whether it's a specific amount that's built in to the policy or whether you have the option of having a certain amount. And so that is an incredibly individualized piece. Oh, it's all very important information. Are there any other writers or any other caveats which is important for physicians to know? I mean, personally, I think they're kind of this gold standard. Some of the carriers have unique riders that is really dependent on who I'm speaking with, right? Because what's really important to you may not be important to somebody else. The one I'm thinking about right now is a COBRA benefit. So right now there's one company that if you can't do your job and you lose your job, right? If you lose your health insurance, well, if you're single, if you have a partner that doesn't have good benefits, you have to go to COBRA. 
only one company offers a COBRA benefit. So that may be important to somebody, may not be important to somebody, right? I went right on my husband's. That wouldn't have been an important rider for me, right? So each company has one or two unique things that we need to figure out who is it important for, who is it not. Some of the companies have a student loan repayment rider. I personally don't care for it. It's really expensive and it's a term rider. So it's only good for the first five or 10 years that you have the policy. And if we look at anecdotal numbers, right, or actuarial numbers, you're more likely to become disabled past that 10-year mark. And so I'm not a huge proponent of it because I just haven't seen it work yet. But it is something that will come up occasionally and someone will feel very passionately about it. And so, again, it becomes a who's it important for. And that's really the bulk of them. I see. Thank you. And sometimes when physicians slow down, go to part-time or stop clinical work completely and pivot to other careers, does insurance coverage stops immediately? Or if there is some period of time when they still might be covered afterwards? So the policies should be what's called automatically renewable and non-cancelable. And that means you've gone through underwriting, they've made you an offer, you're paying your premiums. As long as you're paying your premiums, your policy is in force. So there are a couple different questions there. So if somebody goes part-time, it may affect their ability to get more in the future, but they may not need more. Some of it depends on are you going part-time enough that you lose your employer benefits or not. So sometimes it's actually surprising when people go part-time, we do find out that they're underinsured because now they've lost what their employer was giving them. But if they're still doing the same job, fine. If we're talking about pivoting away from clinical medicine, the carriers are really interesting. In order to change the class that you're in, right? So we're all given a certain occupational class based on what we do. A lot of the carriers for physicians, they won't consider changing your class until you haven't physically touched a patient for a certain amount of time. And it's usually a couple of years. Your definition of your occupation though will grow up with you. So if 10 years ago you were, I'm just making something up, right? A surgeon and you spent most of your time in the operating suite. And now 10 years later, you've moved into admin. If something happens to you, then it depends on how long the transition has been. And now your own occupation may be as an administrator. And so they're going to be looking at what is it that you can and can't do in your current job. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yes. So, so look at your current job, not your original when you open the jeans. Correct. And also, like I know, answer on this, but for listeners, it would be helpful. Many people have some disability insurance through employer, but if you could tell a little bit why it is important to have private insurance in addition to. It. Yeah, so this is something I talk about a lot, and I hate being in the position of telling people that what they thought they had, they really don't. There are a couple of big reasons that you should not rely just on your employer benefits. One has to do with taxation. Most 
employer policies are paid for by your employer, which means any money that you would get as a result would be considered taxable as opposed to your private policy that you're paying for with post-tax dollars. So that money is coming to you tax-free. So that's number one. Number two, they own the policy, your employer, and it tends to be employment dependent. So if you change jobs, you're not necessarily getting to take that benefit with you. And so with the private policy, the exact opposite. You own it. It's yours. It stays with you for the entirety of your career until you either need it or you can cancel it, right? The biggest issue, though, goes back to something I said a little bit ago, which is there's no standardization of language. And what we find a lot in these employer policies is that the language is inferior. They have gotten very creative at what they add to the policy to limit coverage. We're seeing a lot more of the not covering work-related injuries or illnesses, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, it's definitely post-COVID. I don't know how we're supposed to prove where we contracted an illness from. Most of the policies have a two-year limitation, some now only one year for mental health. We're starting to see a bunch that have a two-year limit for musculoskeletal claims, which, oh, by the way, is the number one reason that physicians leave. We see a two-year limit on what's being called subjective illnesses. So think of things that don't necessarily have a pathognomonic test, right? Not everyone that has a headache has an abnormal scan. Not everybody that has pain has an abnormal EMG, right? And so they're included, but not limited to, right? And then they lay out a whole host of things, headaches, pain, ringing in the ears, fatigue, the list just goes on and on. And so oftentimes our employer benefits, it's one line in our open enrollment packet, right? You check a box, but they don't have to tell us what's actually in the document unless we ask for it. And sometimes it takes asking more than once to get your HR department to actually get you a copy of the policy. And I will say lastly is you want to look at numbers because a lot of group policies have a maximum coverage amount and it's usually based on your base salary, not any bonuses, commissions, RVUs, teaching stipends. And so oftentimes too, people will think that a certain amount is being covered and it's really not. I see. And when people buy insurance, is there any difference in price depending on which agent they go through? Or is it the same price regardless? It's not like buying a used car. For the most part, no one in the brokerage space, we really don't control the product or the pricing or how much people qualify for. There are a handful of captive discounts out there, meaning one company has bequeathed a specific discount to a specific brokerage firm. In the last three years, they've been pulling those back, realizing that it's really not fair. But there are a few that are still out there. And we try to keep a running list. So if we talk to somebody and we know that one exists, we'll happily tell you to go get it. But most discounts are what's called open discounts and everybody has access to them. As far as how much things cost, there are a lot of factors 
factors that go into cost. I mean, the rule of thumb is men should expect to pay about one to 3% of their gross income. Women should expect to pay about two to six. So it is really almost twice as expensive for women as it is for men. The best time to get it is in training because there are discounts that are available to residency and fellowship programs that once you lock it in, it stays on your policy. Whereas if you wait until you become an attending, we may not be able to get those discounts. And so I would say that's a big difference in cost. Oh, it's important. And if a person gets this insurance while resident, and it will be, for example, 3000 per month, so like 4000 per month payoff, and then becomes an attending and would qualify for 15000 for example, does it increase or will they need to do anything extra? No company is going to increase your benefit without increasing your premium. And so while the cost should be what's called level, a couple of the carriers have something called graded premiums where every year you pay a little bit more for the same amount. That's a talk for another day. But if it's a level premium, if you don't ever change the benefit amount, it's never going to change. But if you increase your benefit, they're absolutely going to increase the premium. It tends to be fairly linear plus minus a little bit. So if you qualify for two times the benefit, assume you're going to be paying two times the premium. Same thing for three times. And the way that the carriers will dictate how much you qualify for. So it's not like somebody can call me and say, Steph, I want $15,000 of benefit. I'm willing to pay for it. I don't get to make that decision. Once you're an attending, the carriers all have internal algorithms that are proprietary. I have no idea how they do it, but they look at how much money do you make? What benefits do you receive, if any? and who pays for them, because that affects taxation. And then they'll give us the maximum amount that we can offer. And then depending on company, we'll dictate how much of that you need to purchase. And I'm the first to tell people just because you qualify for a certain amount doesn't necessarily mean that you need it or want it, right? Different people have different spending habits. People have different wealth management assets, et cetera. You only need as much as you need. And that number is different for everybody. This concludes the first part of our interview with Dr. Stephanie Pearson. Stay tuned next week for the second part of our interview. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at joyfulsuccessliving. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.